וגם אני פתאום רואה את Hello and welcome to Kolot. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein, director of the Columbus Community Kolot, and it's a distinct honor of mine and privilege to welcome you to our next episode featuring David Heller. And I'm accompanied here with our very own Columbus native and uh, fellow Kolot board member, Stephen Stiglitz, who we're, uh, we're going to be interviewing David together. So Stephen, how you doing? And uh, tell me what interests you about David Heller? Hey, Rabbi Kappenstein, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be here and for the opportunity to uh, co-interview David with you. David's really, um, you know, to me, certainly a unique personality and um, a special person because David um, manages and is one of the co-founders of the group NRP up in Cleveland, manages 23,000 units. And being a young professional in the real estate world, um, you know, always look to some of the Jewish leaders, um, especially who have made fantastic and monumental strides in the business world. Uh, so certainly a unique pleasure to uh, get, a, get a one-on-one with him, uh, with you guys. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. 23,000. Wow. <laughs> a lot of doors. I have a hard time <laughs> with just one, but yeah, <laughs> that's great. Wow. Yeah. Okay, great. So yeah, we're, you know, something else I, I met David about two years ago and he is just such a humble man, unassuming. I think he started pretty much from scratch. So he, you know, he really embodies not just, uh, you know, not just success, but a lot of the Jewish spirit as well. So, you know, this, this should be really interesting to find out what was that journey, what he attributes success to and some of his best practices. Certainly. Yeah, no, definitely want to hear from him because he, yeah, started from the ground up. You know, he is, he's one of the co-founders of NRP. So, and he's been on, you know, numerous boards throughout, uh, you know, Cleveland on the secular end, but also I know he takes great pride on the, on the Jewish end. So uh, it's nice and encouraging to see. That's right. Okay. Very good. Okay. So let's bring on David. J. David Heller is the president, CEO, and co-founder of the NRP Group. Over the past 25 years, Mr. Heller has helped to create one of the largest multifamily development companies in the U.S. from the ground up. Since its founding in 1994, the NRP Group has delivered more than 35,000 apartment homes and currently manages 19,000 residential units across the nation. Mr. Heller is deeply committed to to community service and holds several leadership positions across many civic organizations. In January 2009, the President of the United States appointed Mr. Heller as a member of the United States Holocaust Memorial Council. David, thanks so much for joining Colot. Thank you. Uh, Glad to be here, and uh, thanks for the introduction. Pleasure. So I want to ask you if you could give us a little bit of a, a brief background, uh, who you are, where you grew up, what do you do professionally, and how did you get to this point that you are at today? Wow, that's a that's an awful lot to uh, 
to share with you, but I'll, I'll try to make it brief uh, and I'll try to make it interesting. You know, I grew up in Cleveland. Uh, I, I like to tell people, um, uh, particularly in the Jewish world, that I grew up in a reform household, uh, got married, uh, joined a conservative synagogue, and for the past 20 plus years have been uh, learning in an Orthodox yeshiva. So I've got all streams uh, covered. That's a little bit about my Jewish background. But I grew up in Shaker Heights. I went to Shaker Heights High School, graduated, started my college at University of Maryland, uh, was there for two years and transferred to the University of Michigan. Uh, sorry to all of you Columbus folks uh, for that. But um, I got my undergraduate degree in accounting from uh, Michigan worked for Arthur Anderson in public accounting for five years. Uh, three of those five years, I, I was in a subgroup uh, at Arthur Anderson that did real estate consulting, uh, moved to Cleveland to work for a company called the Townsend Group, where we consulted to pension plans on their investments in real estate. And after two years, I got a phone call from uh, another community member in Cleveland, Bobby Goldberg, who was the president of Ohio Savings at the time. He wanted to know if I was interested in working with his son and mentoring him and talking about potentially building some single family houses in the Cleveland area. It's how his family got uh, involved out of the grocery business and into the banking and building business was building single family homes. So I said, sure, I'd be happy to talk to him. We spoke to customers of the bank, uh, city officials in, in Cleveland and others. And, um, and one of the people we met with was a guy that was a customer of the bank, Al Scott. He was building low income housing tax credit developments all around Ohio. And he said, hey, I'll take the two of you on and uh, and and add another project. And so uh, I thought it was uh, a really interesting idea. I ended up leaving my job at the Townsend Group. Uh, the president of the bank's son, Josh, decided to move in a different direction. So I didn't, uh, he didn't join us. But that's how I, it was sort of seizing the moment, seizing an opportunity on something that I had a passion for, which was... Uh, affordable housing. I, I thought of it as a way, sort of my own personal Takuno lump to repair the world, to, to, you know, give back while I'm, you know, while I'm working. And, uh, and so that's how, how we started. It was started as a joint venture. And ultimately, uh, we formed a company out of it. We called it uh, the NRP group, which stood for neighborhood revitalization partners. Um, and this was in 1994. And we, we uh, built single family lease purchase housings, uh, housing throughout the state of Ohio, ultimately went to multifamily housing. Uh, in 2008, we, uh, we started uh, market rate housing. And so now we do both affordable and market rate. And I think uh, the last time I looked, I think we're the, the uh, fourth or fifth largest multifamily developer of new construction in the country. And the about the fifth largest uh, contractor of multifamily uh, in the country. And we're having a great time doing it. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be here uh, to talk about this story if it wasn't uh, tied to some of uh, the relationships that I have and have cultivated within the Jewish community, both the way that I've, um, you know, had a lot of help from Hashem in, in getting here. And I, I really mean that. I, I think the the uh, the gratitude that I owe to Hashem in in, in watching over and making sure that uh, that we were moving in the right direction has been a major part of my life. That's beautiful. So with us uh, we have Stephen Stiglitz, who is uh, the vice president of the Smith Tandy Group, and I want to hand it over to Stephen to ask you a little bit more about the NRP Group. George, again, thank you, Rabbi Kaplan, for having me, and David, it's a pleasure to be with you here. Um, no, it's, uh, it's really to, to someone else in the real estate space and the multifamily space, not really so much in the affordable space. 
Um, it's amazing to hear your story and really how you started from scratch, went from, you know, being a CPA to being one of the, you know, the top five, four or five, uh, largest multifamily affordable developers in the country here. So, and then you also attribute a lot of, you know, your success obviously to Hashem, which is, you know, tremendous part of, you know, who we are and what we have. Um, maybe you could just speak a little bit more about what that journey looks like and what that was for you as you really growing from zero units to, you know, 20,000 plus units um, and how Hashem had an impact um, in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to talk about it because it's something that I don't think gets talked about enough. And that is um, uh, the role that uh, the Torah study and Torah knowledge and um, gratitude uh, play in all of this, that, that we're not doing this ourselves and that we have, um, a, a little bit of help, uh, if not a lot of help from, from, from elsewhere. And what, the way that I look at it, you know, the my, man above. That's right. That's right. So my, um, my story, and I, and I, I wanted to start out by mentioning that I had grown up in a reform, uh, household and, and, um, and when I was in, uh, living in Chicago, working for Arthur Anderson, now I grew up in a, in a household, to be fair, there was a very federation, uh, uh, family. Uh, my father was involved in federation. So I had, um, the, the concept of tzedakah, of giving back, of helping the community was something that was ingrained in me from a very, very young age. So that was, um, that, that was really, uh, an important central component. It's something that I have now instilled in my children and make sure that they understand the importance of a federated community. Now, uh, you know that I'm the board chair of the Cleveland Federation, but I, but it really started at a very young age. And, um, and so when I got to Chicago, uh, and, uh, I started learning with, a with someone had asked me to, to, to be part of a learning group and learning with a Kiruv rabbi. And so it was, uh, something that, uh, I had started, you know, right out of post college. Um, it was, it was a central part of my life. And, and then I went on something called Young Leadership Cabinet. It's a, it's a part of, uh, the JFNA, uh, Young Leadership Cabinet. Men, many members in Columbus, uh, have joined, uh, Young Leadership Cabinet. Um, and while I was on one of the retreats for that, there was a group called Asia, uh, not Asia Torah, it was Orsameach, and the Orsameach rabbis uh, were there as scholars and residents. And one of the rabbis uh, reached out to me when I returned from that, and he asked me if I would uh, be interested in learning once a week. And so for five years, uh, I learned, uh, this was from 1995 until 2000, I learned uh, with him once a week. And, um, and we started with Pirkei Avos and, uh, you know, went, you know, page by page and, uh, just slogged through it. It was, it was fascinating to me because it was really the first time that I had done uh, real Havrusa study one on one. And he came to me after those five years and he told me that he was moving, um, from Cleveland and, uh, and that I would have to find another uh, rabbi. He'd be happy to, to put me in touch with somebody. At the same time, the, the same week, the very same week that he told me that he was moving, uh, I had gotten a call from someone at Tel Yeshiva that uh, it, it was Rabbi Gifter. It was, it was the son of the, of the Rosh Yeshiva, Rav Gifter. And, um, and he had called me up and said, I, heard, I got your name because we're looking at building some housing on the campus of Tel Yeshiva. Would you come out and meet with me? And uh, so I went out to the yeshiva. It was, it's in Wycliffe. I had never been there before. And, uh, and I explained to him, he's telling me about this housing development he wants to develop. 
which we worked on. I'll, I'll give you the, the advanced here. We worked on the housing project for about six months. It never went anywhere and it never got built. But what I did get was I got a new Chavrusa, uh, David Greenwald. And, uh, and I ex- had just told him that my Chavrusa was moving. And he said, I'll take care of that. I'll, I'll find someone here at the yeshiva. And, and David and I have been learning together for the past 22 years. And um, we're going to be learning uh, tomorrow morning uh, at, at 10 a.m. Uh, so, I mean, every single week for the past 22 years. And uh, whether it's Masilis Yashara and Parsha of the Week, the continuation of Perkei Avos, uh, it, it has been just a, a part of my life, a weekly habit um, that I have of, of learning. And, um, and that's just been a, a real central part of my life. So it, in addition to the community involvement that I have, the, the Torah-centered portion of my life is something that I, I wouldn't be the same person if I didn't uh, do all of that studying that I've done over the past uh, 27 years. That's amazing. That really, that really is. Now, I have to ask, so doing the Torah study, being on all the boards that you're on, managing 20,000 plus units, dealing with the LIHTC process, dealing with the state, the competitive process. How do you do it all? <laughs> right. Well, I will tell you, it's, it's, it's not easy. In, in the early days, um, it was a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, but one of the things that I have um, done a really good job of is surrounding myself with super talented people. And I have learned this through my mentors in the community. And that is one of the things I talk about at NRP a lot is, um, is having A-plus players in the organization top to bottom. And by surrounding myself with A-plus players, I'm able to work on other things, growing the business, growing myself personally, being involved in the community, knowing that there are top talented people in my company that are able to execute, that I have trust in, that are you know working really, really hard to advance the ball down the field. Um, and and I and I talk a lot about this. Uh, I'm a I'm a really good delegator. I've got a lot of trust in in talented people. It takes years to obtain that trust to make sure that you have the right people on your team that you can delegate to. But then I try to work with them to create that same sense of community responsibility for them. And then they then pass that along to have that same trust in building A plus players beneath them. So it's not just that I'm out there, you know, doing all all of this work to repair the world, to work on myself and and leave the the business to other people. It's, It's a culture that I'm trying to create at NRP, encouraging and fostering that, uh, that concept of giving back to the community. We talk a lot about this. We, we have a whole group within our HR department working with people to get involved in nonprofits, in the community, whether it's uh, in their churches or their synagogues or whatever uh, way that they can give back to the community. That's a central part of uh, working at NRP. Wow, no, that's really special. Um, and with that center um, or focus in terms of giving back, I would imagine maybe even on the uh, apartment community level, there are functions even for residents to also give back uh, to their community, whether by donating hours to local church or helping out local food banks. Um, sounds like that's really part of the culture and nature of, um, of NRP. Yeah, so what we've done is we've created something called NRP Cares, and uh, we, we, we do that not just with uh, the employees of the company, but also with the residents uh, that live in our communities, trying to make sure that we give opportunities for people to understand that no matter what situation they're in, 
uh, there are people that are in a worse situation. So the concept of giving back and, and, and work, you know, give volunteering of your time, even if you're living in an affordable community, uh, there are people that are less off than you are. And so the opportunity for you to give back uh, in the community is something that we work with our residents on quite a bit. Now, it's an imperfect world when you've got over 20,000 units. Um, you, you, you know, it, it's still work that is unfinished and, and, um, and, and not complete. But, you know, what I think would be interesting for this audience is to understand where that concept came from uh, for me. So, and I want to share a story with you that I think people will find interesting. When I was living in Chicago, uh, I was, uh, as I mentioned, I was involved in the Federation and the Federation had p- partnered with a, uh, with a group called uh, Moas Kitim, which it was um, giving to the poor uh, right before Pesach. And so, uh, there was a partnership uh, with the Chicago arm that had worked with uh, a um, uh, Jewel Dominic, which was the grocery store chain in Chicago at the time. I don't even know if they still exist, but they would provide kosher uh, kosher boxes uh, that, that we would deliver. And so we would get a list of, uh, you know, maybe four people that lived in the suburbs and we would go to this uh, warehouse facility, pick up a box and the, the family would know they would have a letter that they would get that we were coming on this Sunday to deliver their Passover uh, food. And this was a box meant for the week. So, I mean, these people knew this was coming. They were going to be home, right? They weren't going to miss that, 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 uh, that delivery. So one of the people that I had uh, on my list, it was in uh, Rogers Park. And I had, um, I had the box and I go up to the apartment and I ring the doorbell. And there's no answer. And uh, I ring it again, and there's no answer. And I was confused because everybody knew we were coming with Passover food for the week. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't want the food to spoil. There were perishables. And so I started to walk back down the hallway. I figured I'd get, you know, let the people know uh, with, with the organization, and they'd find some other alternative. And I start walking down the hallway, and, uh, and the door opens up to the apartment. And there's a woman there and she has a walker and she's a hunchback. And it had taken her that amount of time just to get to the door. And she invites me into her apartment. I offer to unpack the groceries, put them in the refrigerator. And I noticed that in the living room, there's her husband in a hospital bed that she's taken care of. So you've got this woman who's a hunchback taking care of her husband that's sitting in a hospital bed. And I bring this meal to her. And as I'm walking out, she hands me a gift. And she had been expecting me all week. And she said, I went out and got this special gift for you. Now it was a package of cookies, but it was something sweet. And it just taught me that no matter, you know, she had been in a situation that no matter what her situation was, she knew that she needed to give back and she needed to give tzedakah for the tzedakah that she was receiving. And that really made an imprint on my life, on my on the way that I carry myself. And I'll, I'll remember that story for as long as I live. And I like to share that story because people always you know, remember this woman taught me that no matter how difficult your situation is, there's always somebody that's in a more difficult situation. Wow. That is, that is incredible. Wow. That's uh, that's definitely a highlight right there. Uh, I, you know, I remember David, when we, uh, when we first met, I think it was about two years ago or so plus minus, 
I, I remember seeing a complete set of the Schottenstein Talmud in your office, and you talk about how much Torah learning has impacted not just your personal and spiritual life, but also your work life. So, um, but I believe, if I recall correctly, that it began with Modaani. So, I want to know if you could walk our listeners through sure. this incredible journey that you've been on and how it landed a complete set of the 73 volumes of the Schottenstein Talmud in your office. Sure. So one of the things that we talked about, Rabbi, was the the power of habits. And I'm a big believer in the creation of these habits. And so one of the things, uh, you know, when it comes, we we just passed the secular uh, new year, and uh, a lot of people um, come up with um, with, with habits or they, they, they create a new year's resolution. And, uh, you know, you check back with them in February or March and they can't even remember what that resolution was. One of the things that I've done, uh, going back to, uh, 2000 is, um, I have created a new habit every year of something that I want to add to my Jewish, uh, um, existence, my, my, to take the level of my Judaism to a higher level. And whenever I create that habit, it's something that I want to continue on uh, forever. So it's not something that I'm trying to do that, you know, I'm going to lose 10 pounds or I'm going to, you know, work out every day. Uh, it's something that I'm going to add to my Jewishness, to my Jewish way of being. So it, it, you, you recall that the first uh, thing that I did was I just started to say moda ani, uh, every morning, the first thing, my first step out of bed was to to be thankful, to have that gratitude. Um, you know, other years, things that I've done is add the full Shema uh, every year, uh, add the Amida. Uh, so each year I added uh, one thing. I'll tell you, one one year I added uh, he gave me a set of tefillin and he said, uh, the only thing I ask you is that you keep this to fill in kosher. And I said, okay, how do I keep it kosher? And he said, you have to put it on once a month. And so I was so nervous of that responsibility. I would take it to Tel Yeshiva once a month for our you know, in-person Chavrusa study. And I would put it on with him there because I wanted him to see that I was, I was doing that. And you know, it, it, it created a habit. And I said to myself, you know what, if I'm putting it on once a month, I can certainly put it on twice a month. So let's Next year, I'm going to add it and do twice a month. The next year, I did three times a month. And by the time I got to four times a month, I said, this is ridiculous. I can do this every day. And so after about four years, I started putting on tefillin every day, but Shabbat and the, the, the holidays we don't uh, put it on for. And I've been doing that now for the past you know, 15 years or so. And it's just become a part of my life. So when it came to um, uh, learning, I try to do the same thing with different books. And I, I, someone had given me the full set of the, um, uh, the, the Rashi, uh, um, uh, commentary on the, um, the Tanakh. And I sat down and said, I'm going to read this page by page. So over five years, I will have read the entire Tanakh. And I said, you know what? I may as well add. Uh, going on and doing uh, prophets and judges and continue on to the 24 different chapters after that. So I, right now I'm, I'm near the end. I'm on Chronicles 1. And, uh, and so I've continued on with that uh, throughout this entire process. And about um, 10, maybe uh, 10 years ago, I mean, maybe it was eight years ago, someone came to me and said, you know what, why don't we learn the Talmud? And, uh, and so that's when I went out and I bought the full set of Schottenstein Talmud. And, uh, and I talked to Matha Vrusa. I said, you know, I don't necessarily have the time to do a day, to, to do a daily, uh, Daf Yomi with a partner. 
Um, I want to learn this on my own and I want to do a half a daf a day. And so, of course, he couldn't answer me. He had to check with his rabbi uh, to find out what, what he would say. And, uh, and it came back to me that uh, it was okay for me to learn uh, the, the half a daf a day as long as I didn't become a teacher. If I didn't do it with a chavrusa study, I, I was still adding to my knowledge. But as long as I don't teach over what I learn as, a, as, a, like a, as, a, as an actual teacher, then it's okay for me. That was the, 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 the law that came down to me. So I, I do half a daf a day. Um, I'm on Sanhedrin right now. And uh, Sanhedrin number eight, uh, as a matter of fact. And, um, and it's been, a, you know, I, it, seven and a half years would have been nice, but I'm on the 15 year plan. And, uh, you know, I'll get through it. And when I'm done with those 15 years, maybe then I'll start over and I'll do it in the seven and a half year plan. But it, it is, it's not just collecting dust on the bookshelves. It's not just a, a pretty backdrop to my office. It's actually something that I learn every morning. Oh, that's that's incredible. And you know what? 15 years sounds like a lot of time, but that's a mortgage or half a mortgage. So, you know, we, we do it in other areas of life. So it's just replicating it somewhere else. I, I really like that. Um, one last question before I turn it back to uh, to Stephen. Um, you uh, you talk a little bit about giving back and in and, and tzedakah um, in many ways. Um, how do you decide where you focus you're giving. I mean, like there's endless places and causes and, you know, how do you kind of like cherry pick what, you know, where you want to focus is just like what speaks to you. Is there something that you're looking for in each one? Share us a little bit of how that process looks like. So can I share another story with you? Always. So when I was in, um, when, when I graduated college, I, I traveled around Europe for four weeks and then I went to Israel and I traveled around Israel for four weeks. So I was 20, 22 years old, you know, young, ready to take on the world. And I remember in those four weeks, I would go to, um, I'd go to the Kotel uh, every Friday and have dinner with a, with a family that uh, Jeff Seidel would connect me with. Um, but one of the things that I remember on Thursday afternoon and Friday morning was the incredible number of people um, asking for money, asking for donations on my way to the wall. And I remember asking the rabbi, you know, how much, how much should I give and who should I pick that I should give to? And he said, I don't have a, the best answer for that, but my answer is fill your pocket with some small shekels. And, uh, and, and uh, were those called agarot at the time, I think? Agarot. Agarot. Um, and, and just give a little bit to everybody. So that, that's a, a philosophy that I've adopted. When I, um, when I uh, started uh, giving tzedakah, people, I'd get uh, solicitations in the mail from this yeshiva or that yeshiva or this kolo, that kolo. And I didn't have the ability to decipher which one was good, which one was better than the other. And so I started giving a, you know, a couple of dollars to each one. And then they'd send me a solicitation the next year. I'd add another dollar. And, you know, now that's added up to about a thousand different organizations that I give to. It's a, it's a, it's, I actually, because I'm, I have an accounting background, I've got these meticulous records uh, of, of keeping that. And then, and then the things that, that speak to me passionately, whether it's Federation, whether it's uh, the Joint Distribution Committee, whether it's uh, Yeshiva Derech HaTorah in Cleveland or Hebrew Academy or, um, you know, whatever it is, if I'm a little bit more engaged in it, then they might get a larger check and a, and a bigger portion of my tzedakah, the more I learn about the organization and the things that they're doing. And then I've also gotten a little bit more 
passionate about certain things in the, you know, within the Orthodox or within the Jewish world that, that I want to see uh, as opportunities that I can fund. And so as those have come about, I've given more dollars, um, section, you know, sectioned off for those things that I think that my dollars can have the ability to change the world. And, and that's what, that's where I hope to get to um, as, you know, as I've been met with good fortune of having, you know, um, you know, some, some fortune come my way. I want to be able to share that in a thoughtful way that can use some of the wisdom that I've gained through my study, through my, my, my mentorship, through, through different things that I've seen with my own eyes to try to help change uh, and add to the Jewish world. That's beautiful. Okay. One quick follow-up before I turn it over. Uh, you mentioned federation and that really opens the door to the conversation of umbrella organizations and philanthropy within such. Uh, one of the things that I think I'm speaking for myself, but I think it could be more than just me, um, under 40 millennials, whatever label they put us, uh, they give us has with umbrella organizations is that they're like, so what's this doing? Like, this is like this massive giant, corporation but it's not it's charity and they're supporting i don't know a dozen two dozen three dozen different things some of which i like some of which i don't have an interest to and maybe even some of which like no that's really not what i want to be supporting so what's your response to people when they hear the concept of umbrella organizations and why even if they don't necessarily like everything why they should still participate nevertheless it's a fantastic question and i think it's one that needs to be talked about a lot and i think it's what I look at is how we can, the, the more that we can do collectively together, uh, that's one of the reasons. So when you have a, a, a lot of people giving to an umbrella organization, you can solve major problems and major challenges. The other is you do have to have trust in the organization. It's what I talked about in my company. If you've got great leadership and you've got great talent within that organization, then you should have the trust that they're ferreting out, that they're looking at the organizations that are receiving money and that they're following the, the audit standards, they're delivering the services that they say that they're going to deliver, and that they're going to, um, to make good on the promise of the dollars that you're receiving. So when you brought up a good problem uh, that, that's out there, so you've got people within the, I'll use the Orthodox community, I'll pick on, uh, on, on the Orthodox community first, I'll, they'll say, hey, look, we've got these yeshivas, we've got these day schools, we've got a committed parent body, why can't I give my money just to uh, Hebrew Academy or just to Yeshiva Derecha Torah in Cleveland? Why do I need to give to Federation, which then gives it to this very same organization? And the answer is because we can, because we can do so much more with the dollars that we have that we can help other organizations like Beaker Cholin, like Jewish Food Pantry. Uh, uh, it, there are just so many different organizations that are in need out there and we can provide additional services to them. So we have something called the JEC in Cleveland, the Jewish Education Center, which provides for teacher training. You know, if you're just giving to to, to one of the day schools directly, you're not giving to the ability to have continued education for the teachers to make sure that they have the right skill sets, the right teaching uh, models, that they're getting always learning the, the newest ways of teaching and the best ways of teaching. Uh, you, you also have an IT department that can go in and help fix the smart boards and, and create different opportunities for the children learning from new smart applications. Then you've got the whole other uh, aspect of the world where you have 
um, sort of the large tent and you're able to take care of things in the community of people that you may not, you know, if you, if you truly uh, believe that, that to save one Jewish life is to save the world, if you're just using your wisdom to give to the things you care about, what about the people that you haven't seen? What about the domestic violence? What about the Hebrew shelter home? Some things that you might say, you know what, that's just not part of my life. I don't need to take care of it. Well, that's a very important part of our community because those are real life situations that are happening out there in all streams of Judaism. Not, you know, and no one, no one stakes claim on, on domestic violence. It's, it's not just happening in reformed families, just happening in conservative, just happening in Orthodox. What we found out is it's happening everywhere. And we need if we've got a Jew need, we need to take care of them. Those organizations would fall through the crack if it weren't for something like feder- a federated giving that can look at holistically at all Jews in the community. And the same thing with you know, um, Jewish family services. And when it comes to mental illness and different challenges that are happening uh, within the community, not a lot of people want to fund that. Not a, a lot of people want to, you know, sweep it under the rug. But if you talk to any rabbi, what's the number one thing that they're getting? They're getting calls from families with dysfunction, whether it's in the Orthodox, Reform, Conservative, there are challenges, particularly during COVID. And we have, you know, we are set up to be able to address that in a way that if you're just giving as a millennial and giving directly to your organization of of, of choice, you're leaving a lot of other Jewish organizations behind. I'm very passionate about this issue. I could talk about it all day long. I, I, um, I could debate it. Uh, but one of the things I think in Cleveland in particular, uh, Mendy Klein, blessed memory, uh, really opened up the Orthodox community to understand um, the uh, the benefits of the federated giving. And I just have to tell you the, the way that the Federation works so closely within the Orthodox community with the funding of the new buildings of both uh, YDT and Hebrew Academy in Cleveland has been, just been tremendous. Um, the rolling in of the um, uh, different programs through Gesher into the Jewish Family Services. There's just so many ways that we've been working together as a community uh, and, and Detroit is another incredible model, the work that Gary Turgo has done. You know, I know Gary was a tremendous mentor to, uh, to Mendy and to myself and, and just watching the way that Gary has led the Detroit Federation. Um, it, you know, we can grow so much more when we work together. Yeah, no, that I was actually about to mention, uh, Gary, a mentor of mine as well, who encouraged me to uh, participate with Federation. We actually, the COLA, we sent out a video how, uh, especially with our new leadership here and Joel Markovich, how um, he's really just befriended us and we learned together. And uh, I think another thing that people have to realize, and tell me if you agree, it, giving to Federation doesn't mean that it has to be the same amount as every other place that you're giving to. We're no, no one's asking you to make this your your number one, but I think you could start off, everyone could do, I don't know, figure it out, 180, 360, 540, 1800, everyone could do something. And you're a member of the team and that it's, we're not asking for that much. I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> okay, great. Now I want to turn it over to Steven to see what else we didn't cover yet. Sure. I guess uh, another one of my questions is, so what are some of your visions for, you know, the Jewish world, the Jewish community and, you know, how do we, how do we get there? Sure. So one of my uh, passion uh, in, in, I mean, obviously, adult education and Fevrusa learning, uh, Torah learning uh, is something that I'm passionate about. We started a group in Cleveland called Partners in Torah with uh, Rabbi Landis. 
And uh, the concept is that everyone, we've been given this Torah, we ought to open it up and we ought to learn it. And, um, and so uh, I can't tell you what to learn um, or who to learn with, but I, I, I just encourage everybody to spend uh, a little bit of time each week learning the Torah. I think it will improve and enhance your life. And so we put together an organization for that opportunity. I want to see that continue to grow. One of my passions within the Orthodox world is um, I, I have a particular bias that, that people that are in the yeshiva and kola world uh, happen to be um, some of the brightest people on this planet. And, um, and they're, they're using that talent in such a strong way to continue their learning, their education. But it's for some people, and this is where I get uh, just stories transferred down to me from Rabbi Gifter, uh, and that is that you know, the, the top 20% uh, percent of that group after they finish Kolo should continue on a life of continued Torah study. They're, they're just really, really uh, special uh, folks and have a special intellect that our world needs that. And then you've got 80% that need to go on and support a family and work in the world. Doesn't mean that they shouldn't continue studying Torah daily but and finding the time for that, but they should also go out and create and make a living. Well, I think in some of our... Um, uh, institutions, we don't provide enough of an opportunity for to give people the foundation to go out and earn the earn that living and to give them the the basics uh, of of you know accounting or architecture or because they've just been learning Kolel, uh learning um uh to age 25, 27, and then all of a sudden they they wake up and they say I gotta you know take care of my family. And um so I would like to find a way to uh, to bridge that gap a little bit. I know there are programs, you know, there's one uh, in Waterbury, Connecticut. There's another in, um, at, uh, I think it's near Israel in Baltimore, uh, has some programs with the University of Maryland. I'd like to see that expanded on a, on a greater basis, not to take away one bit from the important Torah learnings going on in Kolo, just enhancing it, giving people the opportunity, because if they can go, if that 80% can then go out and, and you know, we need a lot of accountants and doctors and and, and lawyers and things of that nature, but we also need entrepreneurs. And so to get, get people to take that risk to work in real estate, nursing homes and, and beyond uh, IT technology, you've got such a brain uh, trust here. How can we then take that parlay that into opportunities of the business world, not neglecting your Torah study, but just enhancing on that and growing that. And that would bring many more dollars and opportunities. Uh, within the community. And so that's something that's a passion of mine. Um, I, I took my first trip to Lakewood, New Jersey, uh, just about a month and a half ago for a wedding. It really opened my mind to the the entrepreneurial spirit that's happening there with Madison Title and others. And I would just like to see that uh, continue to grow and grow and go from strength to strength. Wow. So, yeah, Amazing. you mentioned a lot of Have things. Have you been able to... <laughs> go ahead, Stephen. Yeah. No, so with, with that in mind, have you been able, because I know this is, I'm not going to say a struggle of ours, but something that we certainly strive for here in Columbus, um, how have you successfully been able to retain that Colel ta- talent in Cleveland to ensure that they stay in Cleveland, um, call it post their Colel experience, so as you said, they're able to uh, enter the secular workforce? Um, get that necessarily training that they need, but then also be a valuable asset to the community and still re- remain in the, uh, in a total learning environment. So that's a work in progress in Cleveland. And I would say we haven't cracked that nut. You know, what we did in Cleveland, 
um, particularly under Mendy's vision and leadership, was uh, step one was to build a tremendous coal out community within Cleveland. And uh, that is mission accomplished. We have done that. I think step two is what you're talking about and what I'm talking about is providing that post-COLO uh, working experience. And uh, we haven't fully cracked that, not yet. And, and that's why I think that it doesn't, what you can't do, in my opinion, is start thinking about that at age 27. I think you need to start teaching that at age, you know, uh, three and, and just, it's a mindset. It's, it's a, and, and I think exposing people, um, you know, I'm not saying we need to have classes or take people necessarily away from uh, Torah study, but there are things that can be done during a lunch program, during an after school program, where you can be exposed to entrepreneurs, exposed to, and it's not taking anything away from the professions, accounting, lawyers, things like that. There will always be people that we need in those professions. And we've got great examples of people that have graduated from Tel Yeshiva or near, near Israel or any of the great yeshivas have gone on to law school, but the numbers are too far and few between. We need those in masses. We need our own law schools where, where kids are coming out and coming right out of Kolel and going into, you know, an entire class of, of, uh, of, of Kolel quality and COLO graduate uh, law students and, and accounting students and doing that en masse. But we also need entrepreneurs and we need people that are going to be risk takers, uh, idea people, people that are come up with business concepts. And, um, and I would love, that's just a dream and a vision of mine. You can't start that at 27 though. You got to start that. That's ingrained in a person that, uh, that way of thinking that, that, that spark that, that, that they're thinking from the time that they're very young. And, and I think that comes just with exposure, showing them and, and exposing them to people within the community that have, that have gone on and done that. And, um, you know, what's the risk of that? The risk is that if you expose them too much, they're going to want to do that before age 27, before they get to COLA, before they, and they're going to want to take the shortcut. And I think that what we need to do is we need to show examples, uh, and there are many of them, of people that have gone through COLA, and it's that COLA experience and that COLA dedication that, is, that got them to the point that they were able to reach that success in their life and tell those stories. And I think that that way um, you won't have as much hesitation of, uh, of the, the, the rabbis uh, allowing those people into the, the classroom to speak. It's not necessarily the David Hellers of the world, but it's the, um, uh, the Gary Turgos of the world that I think can be very, um, very impactful. And there are many, many stories and, you know, Madison title, I mean, many of them that, that we could talk about. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Madison Title, and that's a, that's a great example that you referenced because my mentor from uh, Lakewood, a, a dear friend, Rabbi Aaron Cutler, uh, connected us with Madison Title, our cola. We formed this partnership here in Columbus where they hired someone, so we have these opportunities where people who are learning then want to go into business. They they you know they transition them. Um, I think what a lot of places find that yeshiva graduates and cola. Uh, graduates have a mental capacity that is just about as good as it gets. They're, they're able to study for 10, 12, 14 or more hours a day. And if they got kids to, uh, to feed, they, they don't have time for, uh, you know, for the other stuff. So I, I think there's a tremendous amount. I, I love that uh, point that you make. There's, there's got to be so much opportunity to, um, to expand upon some of the uh, success that was already started. Um, as you know, in, in closing, you do so much and you, you talked a lot about Torah study. You talked a lot about your business and your work ethics. Um, you mentioned you had a family, but you didn't talk much about it. And everyone knows that family is one of those things that you just, 
can't just throw a credit card and take care of all the problems. You got to spend a lot of time with them. Um, but if you're so involved in a business and you're doing a, a you know, a, a, Ahmed, a half a daf a day of the Talmud, plus all the other uh, communal obligations. And I assume that you spend a lot of time with your family. Can you talk a little bit about time management and how you do it all? Sure. Sure. So, you know, you bring up a good, a good point. And um, the uh, I'm here in Florida right now as we speak, and um, I'm surrounded by my family. I've got four children, uh, two are in college and uh, two are, are out uh, living in New York, one in the business world and one working for UJA uh, in New York. And um, they're the centerpiece of my life and, and, and as well as my wife. And so it, I'm glad that you brought that up. And, and there's a story um, that I like to that I like to, to share. And, and it's not a story that I made up. It's one that I heard, but it's important to pass along. And I think that as you're juggling all of these different things, as you're juggling community, as you're juggling work, as you're juggling Torah study, you're juggling family. You know, each one of those balls, in my opinion, three of those are made up of rubber balls. So if at any point that one of those balls drops, um, it'll bounce right back. So if your community drops, if your work drops, if your Torah study drops, but your family is made out of crystal. And if you're juggling that and you let that drop, then it has the ability to shatter. And so that's the, that's the mentality that I go through in my life is that my family is the most important thing. My family is the one that's made of crystal. And I need to make sure that while I'm juggling those other three balls, and I might not do a perfect job of any of them, uh, I need to be perfect and, and strive for that perfection with my family. And so that, that centering, that focus is what's, what's really important to me. Um, I've been you know, very blessed to have the opportunity to spend a good portion of COVID with my family um, because every moment that they get to quarantine, they try to do it down here in Florida with me, uh, as opposed to Cleveland or New York or, or Ann Arbor. Um, but uh, it's been a, a lot of great time. But it takes all focus and concentration. Um, and then again, I, I mentioned earlier the delegation and making sure that, you know, I, I try to surround myself at all times with people that are smarter than me. I try to constantly learn from other people. I have great mentors, um, but I'm also not, not a, a micromanager. And I think that too many people have a sense that it will only get done if I do it. And I've tried to shed myself of that. Um, of that philosophy. I've tried. Now, it is true that if you don't have an excellent A-plus person that you're delegating to, you're actually creating more work for yourself. But go out and find that A-plus person to delegate to. Find that A-plus person to surround yourself with, and you'll have a better opportunity to, to you know, find the time to be able to do those other things that are important to you. Wow. That's great. I love it. Uh, Steven, did we, did we leave anything out? Um, no, it's been really a, just a pleasure hearing your story and hearing your Jewish involvement. Um, yeah, no, you're really just a inspiration only for, I'll say for me, for the young professional group here. Um, you know, in today's environment, just being, you know, on the young side, especially on the real estate side, market's very hot and we all just want to, you know, continue to work hard together and, you know, continue to uh, give back in our community um, and take active roles. So, no, I certainly appreciate you taking the time here with us, um, you know, to share your story. My pleasure. My pleasure. If you'll, you'll indulge me for just a minute here to share one more, uh, you know, sort of vision of the future that I have, sort of a, a message of hope. 
that I have out there. And that is that, you know, I've been going to Israel for many years. My first trip was in 1976. And I, I don't know the age of the people that are going to be listening to this call. Uh, but I, 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 I would imagine that we've got, you know, millennials, we've got younger people, we've got some people that are my age and potentially older. But I think people will recall that the challenges that we've had on the trips to Israel, going back to 1976, we've had issues of water. And, you know, you look at, at, at you know, I remember going there and people talking about how we have to conserve water, you have to take you know, it would turn off the, the faucet in between brushing your teeth because we're going to run out of water. And then guess what? The, the ingenuity of the Jewish people creates desalination. And now there's an abundance of water that they're going to export to other lands. And then we had a, a population challenge. And we said the Arabs are going to overrun us uh, because we're not having enough babies and we're not uh, populating enough. And, and then all of a sudden you have an influx of families that are having a tremendous number of children and you have Russian Olin that come in and it's the great equalizer and the country grows uh, with population. And then you look at the challenges and struggle with our neighbors and you look what's happening now with the Abraham Accords and the possibility and opportunity for peace within the Arab world. And um, I just think if you don't believe in Hashem, after hearing those stories and those opportunities from taking things that seem like we're right on the brink and then turning them around and making them, uh, you know, make blossoming and growing. And, and I just look at the future and I look at the future of the Jewish people in the Arab world and an opportunity for us to come together and to grow in partnership and starting with the UAE, hopefully move it and Morocco and, uh, you know, uh, other nations. And hopefully that list will get added on to and added on to. I look at the coalition government, not to get political, but just the way that we can be a light on top other nations, of, of coexistence, of working together, of having, you know, uh, the right wing to working together with the left wing, having uh, the Arab party within that coalition. There's something that we can all learn. We can all grow. We can have a lot of hope uh, for the future. And I hope we can take these lessons and go from strength to strength. And with that, I want to thank you for having me on today. And uh, I'd be happy to come back anytime you're willing to have me. Oh, wow. Amen. Thank you. Yes, we will take you up on that. Maybe, uh, maybe sometime in Columbus in person. And, uh, I love how you mentioned, uh, Abraham Accords, 24 hours or a little less, actually, than we will be recording tomorrow, Jason Greenblatt. So we're going to be talking a lot about, uh, a lot about that. So thank you for making that reference. And thank you again for joining Kolot. Uh, um, David, there's no other way to put it than you are a walking, breathing Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying Hashem's name at home, the community the office, whether the office is in Cleveland or Florida, but uh, we really appreciate you coming on and appreciate the friendship and the relationship and all the amazing stories, advice that you have to share. So may Hashem return, give back to you a much blessing, bracha, and it should be, uh, you know, a zachos, a merit for you and for your your entire family. Thank you very much. So long. Take care. Thank you. Wow. So Stephen, I (laughs) I don't know where to begin on that one. That was, uh, we covered so much, so many different areas and, uh, I don't know which one to start with first, but I don't know what, what, what stuck out in your mind? Yeah, no, he, he really is, as he said, a walking Kiddush Hashem because he combined so many of the elements that, you know, just a good Jew has. He, you know, he's, uh, tremendous Baal Chesed. He gives tr- a tremendous amount back. And you could tell that not only does he embody it um, himself and with his family, but he really imparts it also on his entire company culture, 
which is remarkable. And you really don't see that. And even the question where I asked him in terms of even takes it one step further, he, he has the company culture and then he even imparts in his apartment communities and, and his residents to really just, you know, keep that giving back mentality um, as part of everyone's core, which is a, you know, beautiful uh, Jewish characteristic. Um, so that's really one of the big takeaways for me. And as well as the emphasis that he has on, you know, the juggling act that we all do of <laughs> Jewish community leadership, business work, success. And then, you know, as he described at the end, the, the crystal of a family that he has um, and making sure that never gets remotely shattered at any point. Um, so really nice to, that he puts that at the at the super forefront on the business end he's obviously tremendously successful and you know he just has an amazing way of uh you know delegating um and it's obviously worked extraordinarily well for him yeah no that's right and it with family all all it takes is one drop and you got a mess to clean up and he knows that (laughs) and it's amazing how it's like it wasn't at the other's expense, you know, it just got to take, you know, let go for a little bit and then you'll pick it back up. That that's hard in the moment for sure. Yeah. I think, I think also yeah, that he's uh, not micromanaging, like letting people succeed and, you know, trusting them. I, I think that's something that a lot of leaders um, struggle with. I've definitely struggled with it. Like, you know, handing things off. Cause like I have in my head exactly how I want it to be. And I don't know if they're going to see it that way, but you know, you, you can't do it all and you got to trust. And I love how he, uh, yeah, he his- no, I hear you. I, no, I, uh, I suffer from that too, in terms <laughs> of, you know, as you said, you want to, you want to do it your way because your way is maybe the right way. Um, <laughs> or you want to see it through fully, but, um, yeah, having that trust and a plus partners really makes up, um, you know, a f- fantastic recipe for success. And it uh, seems like he's, he's really mastered that, both in the home, in the business, uh, really in all aspects of his life. Right, right. Wow. So lots to take with us, lots to unpack, lots to uh, hopefully apply to ourselves. Like, you know, starting, who knew that from Modani could do almost uh, Ahmed Yomi, not Daf Yomi, but that'll be the next cycle. Yeah. <laughs> One step at a time. Yeah, no, for sure. It, to, and, and to that point, that amazing you know, just discipline and growth track that he's had where Modani to Gemara to the Daf to putting on stone once a month right. then to twice a month, then to daily, you know, a lot of people, I'll even say myself included, some people might be intimidated by it. Right. I got to learn and then I got to be committed. I'm going to, I got to, I got to go there every single day or something like that. But he really embraced it and he took it step by step, lot, lot, um, in a really special way. And, and now look at him. He's, uh, he's almost like a call rabbi <laughs> <laughs> while managing a 20,000 plus unit portfolio. Hey, listen, we're, we're, you know, we got a couple slots open. Let's see if he'll take one, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks Stephen for, uh, for joining this interview this week. You could bring some of your, um, you know, real estate knowledge to the table and questioning him. So I really much, very much appreciate it. And, uh, Listen, it's a, you know, hopefully something that will inspire people. And thank God we're in five countries now. So who knows? who will be listening all over the world. Fantastic. No, thank you so much for having me. And it was really, yeah, a pleasure being here with you to, to interview David.
Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. To listen to all Colo's episodes and see upcoming guests, visit colopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Colote on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Colote is a project of the Columbus Community Colo, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men, and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvahs at the Colo. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L dot org and forever be inspired.